Hi there, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Blake Neiman here with publisher Chris Cartman. Just shortly after the 2024 schedule release for Arizona State football, it's the first for Arizona State in the Big 12 Conference. And some notable opponents to start off with, Oklahoma State, 10 wins last season, a Big 12 championship appearance. But just going through it one by one, they start off with Wyoming, Mississippi State, and Texas State. They'll go to Texas State for their lone road game of the non-conference schedule. Then they'll start Big 12 play at Texas Tech, come home and play Kansas in Utah in Tempe. Then a two-game road trip at Cincinnati and at Oklahoma State. They come home to play UCF, then at Kansas State, and then they finish off the season at home at BYU, and then the Territorial Cup down in Tucson. In between, there's a couple of bye weeks in there as well, Chris. I haven't seen a season, uh, at least I haven't seen, where there's two bye weeks in a team's football season, so that was kind of intriguing. And also, it's just interesting as a whole that ASU playing all these different teams and not having the regular Pac-12 opponents on the schedule. Yeah, so this quirk happens, I think, every four or five years where you have an extra weekend in the calendar between the end of August and Thanksgiving, which then leads to like two of these schedules per decade or or so. And um, the bye weeks come at a pretty good time for ASU. Like they're not too close together or too early in the schedule you'd probably rather them have at least one of them be in november because asu has five straight games in november to end the season um but the 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 flip side to that though is they only go on the road in october november it back-to-back games once and that's at cincinnati at oklahoma state but they have a bye week in between them so that helps kind of break up the schedule pretty well, in fact. And then just looking at the uh, strength of schedule relatively, right? We know that Texas and Oklahoma are gone from the conference. So they were, they're were they two juggernauts. ASU's not playing them. And then ASU's not playing four other teams uh, from the, the, the Big 12 last season which are West Virginia and and Iowa State, which were two of the top six-ish teams in, in, in the league. And then also not playing Baylor and Houston, which were two of the four or five worst teams in the league. So there's a lot of balance there as well in that it's not heavy on the side of missing better or worse teams <clears throat> pardon me overall now this uh we've known for a long time that asu was going to play at texas state that's a difficult non-conference opponent uh when that was initially scheduled texas state was just uh just entering into playing at this level of football uh fbs and um they've rapidly developed and improved so that that's something to watch. Uh, they were going to get Jaden Delora, but then that fell through the quarterback transfer from Arizona. So we'll see there. But ASU having to go back to back weeks, Texas State and then Texas Tech is kind of interesting. That's sort of a 
a jarring thing that you never would have seen before on an ASU schedule. That's, that's brand new to the conf to uh, ASU's move into the big 12. So it's going to be, this is an interesting kind of a different experience than we've ever, anybody's ever had um, watching ASU football and only people who remember the Sun Devils playing football prior to 1978 would even remember a different type of a conference. So that's not you. That's definitely not even me. So, uh, you know, you, you got to be like 50s or, or older to remember this sort of a, a level of disruption and even probably 60s for most people. Yeah, just on that light of Arizona State moving into this new Big 12 conference, these new opponents, where would you say their strength of schedule is relative to this past season in the Pac-12 juggernaut in its final year of existence as we know it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I I think that the, the Pac-12 this past year seemed actually tougher than the Big 12 with given the the strength of Washington and Oregon at the top as both of them were 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 serious contenders um for the college football playoff of course Texas made it uh, and and made a deep run but Arizona it's bowl win right uh kind of is a reflection of the strength i think of the conference this year you had Oregon State and Utah were outside of the top three teams and yet still very good uh, football teams. And USC and UCLA won eight games. USC, of course, was one of the more talented teams in the country, uh, but struggled so much defensively. Uh, so I think, I, think, I think the Pac-12 was probably a little bit better. ASU, of course, um, didn't have one of the toughest schedules maybe in the conference, you know, traveling to Washington, <laughs> very difficult. Um, but then they, they, they didn't play all the best teams and they, but they also didn't play Stanford. So I don't know, but it, I, relatively speaking, do I think ASU's 2024 schedule will be tougher? Yes. And the main reason is because ASU had an uncharacteristic eight home games in 2023 that that is a once every eight to 10 years sort of a thing on average only having to go four games on the road so asu has to go six games on the road this year and uh two of those games are november games in places that could be cold oklahoma state and kansas state um so you could have inclement weather um to to deal with in a way that of course asu went up to the Pacific Northwest and sometimes played in snow games or cold rain games here, obviously from uh, the Corvallis area, Blake ASU played at Oregon state. I think what it was at 2014, the weather, it was like 20 degree, 20 something degrees. It was a freezing cold thing and ASU lost in that game. So uh, not to, not to remind ASU fans of something that's uh, unpleasant to think about, but there's going to be some of these games probably, that you go and 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 it's you know freezing rain or sleet or snow or whatever, and we'll just wait and see until we encounter one of those with ASU whether or not that's this year or some sometime into the future. But uh, this is probably a little bit tougher schedule. 
given the nature of the the six and six split of road and home, even though I don't think that the Big 12 inherently is more difficult than what ASU faced in the Pac-12 uh, this last year. It's going to be an interesting year full of change for ASU in a new conference. Make sure you stay locked in at Sun Devil Source for all coverage of Arizona State football spring ball just around the corner. But circling back to your note on cold weather, Arizona State basketball went up to the Pacific Northwest this past weekend to take on the Oregon schools for likely the final time for the foreseeable future. And it was an embarrassment on all fronts for Bobby Hurley's Sun Devils this past week as Arizona State, who came into the week tied atop the Pac-12 standings, was swept at the Oregon schools for the first time since the 2017-2018 season. The Sun Devils lost both games by double digits as a result of resounding runs by their opponents that ASU simply couldn't cut off. In Eugene, the Sun Devils saw their five-point halftime lead wither away quickly after Oregon's lights-out second-half shooting produced a 24-3 scoring run and a final margin of victory of 19 points. Hurley pointed out ASU's inability to hit open shots as a large factor in that loss. That struggling shooting theme continued for the Sun Devils in Corvallis on Saturday, where ASU got routed by Pac-12 bottom feeder Oregon State. The Beavers led by 15 at the break, and unlike the Sun Devils' last trip to Corvallis, ASU couldn't muster a comeback, shooting 34.8% from the field and 3 of 26 from three-point range, which Hurley described as insanely bad. Yeah, um, we, we've known all year that ASU is not a good offensive team um, in the half court. It's a team that has to rely on generating offense via its defense, turn live ball turnovers, be able to turn the game into more of a, an open style. Um, ASU's recipe for winning is to prevent opponents from scoring in the paint, force re- long rebounds, eliminate second chance points, get out in transition, score the score the basketball. Problems are that ASU uh, enhances this via its press more than any other way after made baskets. And yet the team is so thin right now uh, due to a variety of issues, including injuries, illness, and then just younger players not being ready and or recruiting mistakes that ASU really only goes seven to eight deep which makes it really hard to play that style of basketball pretty consistently and hold up over the course of 40 minutes. And so what we've seen uh, in this road trip was a great illustration is ASU played really well for portions of the game or half of the game or more, but uh, had other, other periods where there was huge runs that it gave up to its opponents that really the entire second half against Oregon was terrible and then there was the 16-0 run or whatever it was by Oregon State that was that basically turned the game from being very competitive to, to lopsided. Um, and ASU is a, is a good defensive team overall. Uh, and, and in the half court, that's kind of its bread and butter. But the margin for error is so small when you have the limitations that you have offensively 
and you're not able to summon the type of high level performance on the defensive end over four, eight minute stretches in some of these, uh, some of these games. And so my biggest overall takeaway Blake from this is that we wanted to see whether or not the return of, of Phillips and uh, the ability of um, Adam Miller to play and have these guys try to gel on the floor with an understanding of what Jose Perez and, and, and Frankie Collins and Jemiah Neal could do all in concert with these other players, we wanted to see if they could get stretch their legs and they can get into a better rhythm that would enable them to become a much better team in February and March. And the reality is unfortunately for ASU and its fans is that doesn't look like it's going to materialize to the degree that it would need to, for this to be a a team that warrants postseason consideration. Yeah, talking about postseason consideration, Arizona State had a chance to get a quadrant one win over Oregon there on the road, but couldn't hold on to that halftime lead. Release squad is now one in four in Q1 games. That is teams that are ranked inside the top 40 for home games and top 75 in the net on the road. With its only win coming against Colorado at home on January 6th, three of its four Q1 losses came during the non-conference schedule, so as it looks right now, Arizona State's tournament resume, it's looking thinner by the day, and especially a bad loss to Oregon State, who's very low in the net, was only had one conference win coming into the weekend. That doesn't help them either. They're going to have to pull out some big wins against Arizona, who's a very tough team, but Oregon State somehow beat on the buzzer, and then they've got the Mountain School road trip, but it's pretty much win the rest of the way for most of your matchups, if not all. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's almost it's almost impossible at this point. You gotta just be, you know, really straight with that. Um, the I, I wrote about this two years ago. Rutgers uh, had the worst NCAA net ranking to make the tournament. It was in the seventies, but that but it, it it made the field because it won six quad one games. So the only way that you can overcome the circumstances that you're in right now to improve 35, 40 spots in the net or whatever it would take would be for ASU to basically beat Arizona twice, go win at Colorado and Utah, win on the road, USC, UCLA, you know, and, and, and then also probably like win a couple, two, three games in the PAC 12 tournament. Like that's, that's what we're talking about. And that's, it's look, it's not impossible. ASU a couple years ago, two years ago, uh, right before the pandemic, actually had won seven or eight Pac-12 games in a row in um, January, February, and then it was 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 really peaking and doing and 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 doing uh, quite well going into what would have been an NCAA tournament appearance. So it's not it's not like it's impossible to to reel off that many. It's just that this particular team, the offense is so challenged that it has to be almost perfect defensively throughout games. And I, I it seems very unlikely given uh, the nature of of the of the conference and its current situation. So, um, and and even at this point, I would say like an NIT berth would take a lot of a lot of uh, wins down the stretch for that to happen. It's seems more unlikely than not at this point. 
Arizona State also to note has never won the Pac-12 tournament in its existence. So that route would also be difficult for the Sun Devils based on, based on historical precedents. And Frankie Collins said after the game that um, ASU can't keep picking who they want to play, who they don't want to play, when they want to play defense, keeping this inconsistent balance. And we've known that that's kind of been a theme throughout Bobby Hurley's tenure as head coach is inconsistency on 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 that aspect of uh, ups and downs, roller coaster rides, and especially going into the Big 12 where it's going to be tough battles every weekend um, going into next season. The ASU certainly cannot have that same type of culture next year. Yeah, um, there's a very much of a high highs and low lows sort of a reality of ASU basketball. They, they surprise you, but in ways that you probably shouldn't be surprised because the only thing that you kind of know to expect is something unexpected is, is the way I would, I would, I would put it. And the consistency has not really been there um, overall. That's why we're talking about a program that in its ninth year, under the leadership has not made it to a round of 32 uh, in the NCAA. Yes, Hurley would have made it three straight years if not for the pandemic, made it last year, team played well, uh, but then also kind of fell apart in the final minutes against TCU. So after looking great earlier that game and looking great in the first four game in Dayton that it played. So that that was another emblem of kind of this thing where sometimes it's not even week to week. Sometimes it's within games where the team looks great. Like first half Oregon. Oh, okay. This is a team that has a really good chance to not just win this game, but actually go on a big run here late. And then the second half, it was like, wait, what happened in the first half? Like, and that, that is, that happens a lot is the point. And you, there's no way without stability over a, a period of weeks in a row or, or, or even a couple months in a row, can you get to where you're, you're, you're trying to get. And it's, it's very unfortunate for ASU this year in particular, like, as you know, because it's very soft at the top of the conference, Arizona, as you said, just lost at Oregon state, bad basketball team. Arizona's not having a very good conference start to its schedule. And then you have ASU beat Colorado and Utah, which are the next teams. So what that means is ASU had a really great chance actually to be riding the wave atop of the big, the pack, the, the pack 12 right now, kind of going into the middle of the schedule and then, and then the tail end, but it failed to capitalize on that. The loss to UCLA shouldn't have happened. Four technicals in the second half, they lost their heads. They were the better team that day and they lost then go on the road uh, okay, Oregon, they're pretty good. You struggle in the second half, you lose, but then you got to bounce back against Oregon State, and you have to still play a really good game if you have postseason aspirations. And they just didn't. They played poorly for the most part. And um, so coaches can talk about it until they're blue in the face. Hurley, of course, came out really aggressively after the Northwestern loss downtown. Um, and then it seemed like that sort of got his – team a little different gear a sense of urgency uh kind of subsequent to that but then now they've backslid into another one of these lulls and you can't have lulls when you're not 
nearly good enough to uh, absorb them. You mentioned the lack of depth for ASU earlier and how that's become a problem also with those second half comebacks from from opponents. Um, just Hurley after the Oregon loss um, said that he felt ASU was the quicker and better conditioned team in the first half. And he didn't know if it was Oregon's depth or all the energy that ASU um, exerted in that first half. But he, he just emphasized the importance of needing to sustain a better defensive effort uh, throughout the second half. ASU allowed 80 or more points against both Oregon and Oregon State um, in total in those games. That's the first time this season ASU has allowed over 80 points in back-to-back -back games. But just looking at the depth for ASU this season, it, it just hasn't been there. And the starters have had to play heavy minutes. Kamari Lands uh, snapped a three-game scoreless skid versus Oregon. Um, he's had scored zero points in eight of his 19 games played. Malachi Davis has hardly played at all. Um, Zane Meeks and Bryson Long um, still out. Uh, Long out with an illness. And Meeks still out with an ankle injury. Braylon Green, Akil Watson um, haven't been as involved in impactful well play as they were in non-conference play. And we know that Hurley has placed a lot of pressure on his starters to play heavy minutes. And it seems like it's starting to take a toll as conference play wears on. Totally agree. I'm not a big fan of cross sports analogies, but in football, if you can run the ball very effectively, there's a cumulative toll or boxing the body blows that you, that you deliver on opponents there's a cumulative toll and ASU going only really seven deep as, as I said. Um, and then also Alonzo Gaffney, he's a slightly built guy for a bigger guy. Uh, I think Phillips is super promising, but he's going to have to get bigger and stronger and, and have more stamina. You know, he had the foot injury earlier. So he, he you know, he was on a minutes restriction. So he's kind of building out. And then Salabange is, uh, you know, he's a little bit limited athletically. He's not an above the rim player for somebody who's a six, seven, six, eight guys, not a shot contester. He's a very good, natural offensive rebounder. And he offers, you know, things, but the point I'm making here is that Oregon is a very big physical team and other teams at ASU's played are big physical teams. So it's not really that surprising to see ASU wear down over the course of some of these games and, or get into some foul trouble that they have to manage or their press, is not as effective if they have to use it too much because guys are taking a huge amount of wear and tear. Um, you know, the reality, as you said, is after you get past ASU's seven reliable people, then you get into guys that you really can't count on much. Like they were expecting to get a lot more from Kamari Lance. He was supposed to be a guy that was making several threes a game, probably. Spot up three and D guy, six eight can play some three, play some four. Well, there's he's had a lot of games where he's made no offensive impact uh, to speak of. And then ASU tried to early on in the non-conference to get Malachi Davis kind of up to speed as a junior college transfer guard, and I think that he was sort of just out of control offensively and defensively not. Uh, able to lock in on kind of what they were trying to do uh, overall. And then the freshmen can't blame them in any kind of a way, but uh, Braylon green um, yeah, and Keel Watson, like they're not ready right now to play big minutes. You, you, you know, 
college basketball has turned into where you have a, a lot of veteran players nowadays. Yeah, NIL, and there's more reasons why people are staying longer in college basketball. And so you're going up against guys that are older and a lot more experienced and no less athletically gifted or whatever. So um, this really kind of stems back to Bobby Hurley needing to remake his roster to the tune of 10 newcomers after an NCAA tournament season, you need more stability. You need more continuity. You need to be able to take your players and develop them over a period of multiple years and retain all of your top starters so that you can have that success built upon into the following year and then beyond that. And they, they haven't been able to do that. Yeah, talking about building into the following year, again, Arizona State losing um, guys like Devin Cambridge and along with Warren Washington last season and just haven't been able to have that similar depth this season. Um, but just talking about the nucleus um, and the uh, guys that are seeing minutes on the floor, it's starting to take a toll on them. As we mentioned, uh, Jemiah Neal was playing very well recently, but uh, in the Oregon trip, he, he did not so much. Season low, two points versus Oregon after four straight games with 14 plus points he was a combined three of 11 from the field this weekend and then adam miller has very much vanished offensively since the ucla game um uh with usc oregon and oregon state those combined stats four of 24 from the field one of 15 from three is he just in a shooting flunk chris um coach hurley said after the oregon state game that miller had one of the best um workouts of anybody uh prior to that oregon state game on the, on the practice squad so i think the efforts there is just i'm not really sure what's going on with him yeah he might be pressing a little bit um you know some of these shots in the last few games i thought were were pretty borderline or worse for someone who hasn't been making a lot of shots in those games. Like I totally understand when you're, when you hit a couple early shots and you're feeling it, that maybe the, 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 the margin opens up a little bit on some of the other subsequent shots, but I feel like he was, he was forcing shots. This, and that, that really is also speaks to the nature of one of the bigger challenges that you have under Hurley, which is that he gives his players so much freedom on the offensive end. And he has so much confidence in them that's expressed, which has the benefit of getting guys to like playing for him and the buy-in that's associated with that. Um, and guys have even said in the past that they are more inclined to be willing to play defense harder because of what the freedom that Hurley gives on offense. But the problem though, is that it doesn't overcome your overall other issues. Like you can't, when you're not a good perimeter shooting team, and you're not a good free throw shooting team. You you need to have a higher per possession value on shot selection overall in a season. And ASU has tended to take far too many shots that are uh, in the gray area to the red area of what you would want. And, and you know, Miller has been a guy who's always got up a lot of shots and he's highly relied upon and 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 he has a lot of confidence in himself and he's very talented but i think almost you can put too much pressure on yourself hey we need more buckets i'm a i'm a bucket getter let me try to get that done and i think that you need a little bit more 
focus from a coaching staff on, hey, these kinds of shots we can't have because we're too limited shooting the ball. We have to call even more set offense. We have to try to focus on, like, like I, I watched Oregon State and Oregon, and I thought, okay, as much as possible, this has to be Jose Perez getting the ball in the mid post and going to work, passing when teams bring help. And or Frankie Collins has to be able to have the ball in his hands, a huge amount of possessions. You need higher usage rates is the way I would put it for ASU's best players, particularly when they are performing well and or hot. There have been other games where Miller had a hot hand and was also, a, a, he's a very good passer. I think he's probably an underrated passer. So, you have to you have to read the room. You have to understand the circumstances and then ride that with who is hot to make sure that you're maximizing it. It's like in the NBA, teams will play the same exact actions over and over and over again with the same pick and roll situations with a point guard and somebody else because they're going to generate the favorable matchups that they want out of it until a team changes its defensive coverages. And in college, it's actually harder to change your defensive coverages successfully. Um, teams just don't do it as well. So the point is that you have to say, it, sorry, Adam, this isn't the game for you to, to get seven, eight, nine shots when you're not making any of them. What we really need is Perez to take 15 to 20 shots. And here's how they need to come. You know, and you, you have to make your perimeter players more catch and shoot players than guys who have to do it off the bounce or coming off of the move, running off of screen staggers and things of that nature. Alonzo Gaffney is really one of the best examples you could possibly have. If you look at him in purely in situations where he catches the ball, particularly when it's been passed from inside out, he has a much higher shooting percentage than on perimeter swings or where he's coming off of actions or he's dribbling the ball on the floor. So you have to tell your team, Okay, this type of a shot for you, Alonzo, it's low percentage. But if you get catch and shoot, we want all day you 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 firing those catch and shoot three kind of opportunities. And Miller is this kind of the same way, unless he's in a zone where he's hitting everything, in which case you keep going. So I just think that the that the the drilling down on the extremely nuanced specific things of what you can and cannot do with your team offensively for Bobby Hurley, there's not enough granularity to that um, with kind of throughout his tenure, but it, including with this particular team. And, and again, there are some positives to that, but there, I think there's the, 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 the challenges sort of are more than the positives when you put it all together. Yeah, this past weekend just kind of a culmination of all of that. Frankie Collins kind of put it best of how not seeing shots fall kind of made guys uh, feel down and decide not to play as hard of defense. So lack of shooting success on offense led to the defensive struggles. But just wrapping up here, Chris, um, ASU nearing the halfway point of their conference schedule, heading into the back half of the season, expectations for this team and what they need to do to reach their postseason aspirations. Well, look, uh, I think that it would take something stunning for ASU to play in the postseason. 
I think more importantly, what we want to talk about is the taking stock of where ASU basketball is at right now under Bobby Hurley, especially when the Big 12 is looming and a much tougher conference. Um, the the reality is ASU lost DJ Horn, Warren Washington, Devin Cambridge via transfer. That's three guys who are starters from an NCAA tournament team. Um, they lost them primarily due to NIL, probably all told maybe 500,000. They were going to lose DJ Horn anyways. I don't think he meshed with the other players and he kind of wanted to get back closer to home. So, but if ASU had kept Warren Washington and Devin Cambridge, who had suffered an ACL uh, tear at Texas Tech, don't know what would have happened had he remained at ASU. I mean, you're not playing in the same games on the same floors or whatever. So, but the bottom line is if you retain those two players, well, now all of a sudden, maybe you don't get Jose Perez late. I'm not sure, but you're probably at least a little bit deeper. You have, you have more size. You still can get Adam Miller and Sean Phillips. They have a relationship to ASU's coaching staff. Um, so the, the you're, you're a better team, right? And Texas Tech is one of the better teams in the, in the Big 12 right now. And ASU is going into a conference where it's going to need to have even better talent to overcome it's inherent issues. And the only way that you can do that is retain your roster. So Bobby Hurley, the, the biggest thing that I take from what Bobby Hurley has done or not done to this point is you have to have better anticipation that you might lose some of your players or be challenged to lose some of your top players in this NIL era. And so because you have great name ID, Bobby Hurley is one of the most famous people in college basketball history. You have to spend the year in advance of the possibility of losing some of your star players, fundraising, relationship development, networking, building in all of these things that then give you a much better chance to get the money flowing through your NIL programs that then allow you the few hundred thousand dollars that would give you a much better chance of keeping guys like Warren Washington and Devin Cambridge. And that didn't happen. And he has said subsequent to this, that that is now probably the most important, not probably that is the most important thing that a coach has to do at ASU. Um, but it's, 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 it's too late. Right. Still has to be done for this year. Of course, Jemiah Neal and Frankie Collins and Adam Miller and Sean Phillips, they all have remaining eligibility, right? You're going to lose Jose Perez you're going to lose Alonzo Gaffney, but you have a very good core group of people and you have a good recruiting class. So now you have to keep all of them, add better talent via, via recruiting and transfers, and then try to go in with some positive, you know, roster going into the first big 12 season. Certainly some challenges to navigate for ASU going forward the rest of this season and into their daunting future in the Big 12. That's going to do it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. We appreciate you all tuning in. Make sure to stay locked in on sundevilsource.com. Subscribe for all ASU athletics content. For Chris Cartman, I'm Blake Neiman saying so long and have a great rest of your day.